Hi there, welcome to Mosaic Intercultural Church, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I'm the Executive Director and Pastor of Mosaic, and I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Mosaic, you can find us online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. I am so glad to be here with you today. I'm so glad. Uh, It's amazing to me that every week here at Mosaic, throughout the summer we've been meeting here, and every week there's been something special that God has had in store for us. And so I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for this community and for what God has in store for us today. For those of you who who may not know this, uh, Mosaic is a church um, that is rooted in northeast London, which we are not in right now. We are not in the place that we have been called to serve. But we, we pray for northeast London. We, have, we are praying that God will allow us to go back to northeast London to meet in, the, in a place where our neighbors can come and gather with us. And we are seeking to, to follow Jesus and to seek God's kingdom in northeast London, the area around Kipps Lane, Adelaide, and then going all the way over to like Huron and Cheapside, or not Huron and Cheapside, um, Highbury and Cheapside, where Bully is, that kind of area. And um, we have at Mosaic this practice. Uh, we're, we're called to be a church, as all churches are, a church where all people can follow Jesus Christ and where we are called to follow Jesus in the way of intercultural reconciliation. So we have this compass point, we call it. Uh, The compass point is intercultural reconciliation. And what that means is that intercultural reconciliation is a path that Jesus calls us to walk together. It's never a destination that you arrive at, right? Just like you never arrive at being complete in the love of God. You never arrive at being completely familiar with your best friends. You never arrive at being completely loving towards your neighbors. So intercultural reconciliation is this loving journey that God has called us to that we're always supposed to be growing in. And one of the ways that we live out that value or follow that compass point of intercultural reconciliation is we follow what's called the lectionary. Now, the lectionary is actually just a schedule of Bible readings, but it's a schedule of Bible readings that churches from all around the world follow together. And remember how we just confessed in the words of the Nicene Creed that we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It doesn't mean that we believe that the Roman Catholic Church is the only church, right? The word Catholic in that, uh, in that phrase just means one body of Christ all everywhere for all people. That the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, is for all people from every walk of life from all around the world. And so one way that we live that out is by following a schedule that other Christians follow. And the beauty of that schedule of reading is called the lectionary, is that every season of the year is mapped onto the life of Jesus Christ. So when you follow the lectionary through the year, you follow the life of Jesus. The readings take you through the life of Jesus, and it helps the church grow in our understanding of Jesus Christ himself, but above all, like to grow in the life of the Holy Spirit, right? So Jesus is alive in us. He has called us to walk in his ways. Now, if, so the reading from uh, James that we read 
earlier is from the lectionary. But the lectionary also has a couple of other passages. The psalm that we read comes from that lectionary as well. And then there's an Old Testament and a New Testament reading. And at Mosaic, we usually just choose the psalm and then one of the other ones. But today, we're going to start with the book of James, which you have, if you've got your little, um, your little flyer, you, we're going to start with that passage. And if you, uh, if you want to access that flyer, you can access it online on your phone. If you go to www.mosaicchurchlondon.com, you can click a button, and then you can see the PDF of our order of service. So we're going to read that passage from James. Uh, and then we're going to ask the question, uh, how does Jesus call us to live out this reality of intercultural reconciliation together? Because really, I think this passage in James and in the life of Jesus has a lot to teach us about that. So before we get into it, I'd love to ask you to pray with me, and then we will dive into the scriptures together. So Father in heaven, would you come and speak to us now through the scriptures, by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you reveal the, the power, the beauty that is yours in Jesus Christ? God, would you hide me in Jesus? Would you lend me, not just lend me, God, please fill me. that we're used to today, right? We're used to classism, we're used to racism, we're used to sexism. Favoritism, it's favoritism. It's where you play favorites, right? Where you show favorites special honor. Where you treat certain people as more special than others. Now that can be because of race, it can be because of sex, it can be because of wealth. Lots of different reasons. But for us as Jesus followers, no favorites. We can't play favorites. And it's interesting that James starts us off with this example. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention or favoritism to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder if you do not commit 
adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And then verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That's the word of the Lord. Now in our time, we all know that favoritism is wrong. We all know what it's like when somebody gets preferential treatment just because they're richer or better looking or whatever than somebody else, and we hate that. But it's interesting to me that if you, that if you were to say, well, why is favoritism wrong? Why is it evil? treat poor people worse than rich people, or any other kind of person worse than any other set of, set of person? The answer that the scriptures give is, be, it's, the reason is because of what God has done, because of who God is. You can see in verse 4, or sorry, verse 5, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? That is why we cannot show favoritism, because what God does is he chooses and blesses people, the least, the poorest, the ones that the world would despise, he chooses and blesses those people for the sake of blessing all people. And we can see this throughout all of the scriptures, particularly if you think about the, the story of the people of Israel. When the people of Israel were in Egypt and God chose them to be his own, he said, I did not choose you because you were the most powerful nation. I did not choose you because you were more righteous than anybody else on the face of the earth. In fact, you're weak. And in fact, you're filled with sin. But I chose you because I wanted to. Because I loved you. And you were the least. And I chose to show my grace to you by blessing you. Simply because I wanted to do that. I wanted to bless the world through you as God had promised to Abraham, their ancestor, right, that God would bless Abraham and all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And so Israel has never been truly a powerful nation. There has never been an empire of the Jews. Even under the kingdom of Solomon, it was not an international empire with great renown like the Persians or the Romans or the Greeks. They were always a people who were less than the nations around them. God chose the least, the poorest, to bless them so that through them he might bring his blessing to the world. But of course we know that when God blesses a human community, our sin takes that blessing and stops it. We share it with those who are most like us. We share, us with the, we share that blessing with the people that we like. And we, do know, we are not inherently generous, right? We know that if we have been blessed, we should pass on that blessing. And sometimes we do, but the reality is that we get turned in on ourselves by our selfishness and our sin. And when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abram, that God would bless all the nations of the world through Abram. He came to fulfill that promise, and he took that promise to the Jews first, and then out beyond the Jews to people like you and me who do not have who do not have Jewish roots. Because the blessing for Abraham was a blessing for the least of, of the people in the world so that 
God could bring that blessing to all the nations of the world. And that brings us to our second passage today. If you've got a phone and you're able to access uh, access the Bible on that phone, or if you actually have a physical Bible, I want you to flip over to Mark chapter 7. So in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, we have this incredible series of stories, which I think the kids will love. But here the same principle is, is being played out, that God chooses the least, the least of us, the poor among us, to be rich in faith, and to give his kingdom to those who love him. In, in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 and following, we see the story of these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, who are very rich in faith. These Gentiles who are filled with love and who receive the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. So we're going to start Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now Tyre is a, villa, a city <clears throat> that is on the coast, kind of on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, north of where Jesus had been at that time. Um... He entered a house, which is to say he entered a house, this is a Gentile area. He, a Jewish man, is in a Gentile house. It's not something that he should have been doing. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now let's take a look at that woman for a moment. She lives in a village called Tyre. She's a Greek from Syrian Phoenicia. I don't think she's in her homeland. She's a woman who hears about a Jewish rabbi who is in a Gentile home. A Jewish rabbi, by going into a Gentile home, is contaminating himself. People would understand that Jews and Gentiles do not share meals together. When you go into somebody's home and you're their guest, particularly in the Middle East, you got to eat what's in front of you. And when you eat what's at the table, you are at peace. You are family with the people that you eat with. So Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi in a Gentile place, in a Gentile home, is doing something that a Jewish rabbi should not do. He is contaminating himself by receiving the food and the hospitality of Gentiles. And this woman hears about it. And she hears that Jesus, it's Jesus, it's not just any Jewish rabbi, it's Jesus. And it's interesting, like why would she know? Who told her? What did they tell her about him? But when she hears it, She's got to move, and she's got to meet him. And why does she have to move? And why does she have to meet him? Because her heart is broken. She has a daughter who is being tormented by an evil spirit. Here is a woman outside of her own homeland, a woman whose daughter is suffering. Her heart is broken. She hears that Jesus is nearby. She has to go and see. 
can he do something about this? Can he help her? And you see that she presses right into the space. She knows that as a woman, she would be even more of a contamination to this Jewish rabbi. But she does not let that stop her. She gets into the room with Jesus and she falls down and begs him, begs him to drive the demon out of her daughter. The passage in James said that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. Can you see the faith of this poor woman? And Jesus' response is a little bit alarming, perhaps. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That is how I know Jesus was not Canadian. <laughs> Sir, I need your help. Well, the children have to eat first. You can't take what's meant for the children and give it to the dogs. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty obvious actually what it means. You've got children, you've got food, and you've got dogs. The children correspond with the people of Israel, the Jewish people. They're the ones that the table has been set for. The bread is for them. They got to eat first. Who are the dogs? The Gentiles. Everybody knows that. She knows that. So, again, the bread is Jesus. It's the power and the work of Jesus. The children are the Jews. The Gentiles are the dogs. Now, I don't know what you would do in that situation if you came to Jesus and said, please do something about my daughter. She is suffering. She's hurting. There's a demon that's tormenting her. Please set her free. And he said, the bread's for the Jews, not for the Gentile dogs. And I do want us to ask the question, like, how would you respond to that? Would you get angry at Jesus? Be like, you are racist? And frankly, I don't want what you want. I don't want you to help me anymore. Would you go away meekly and say, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have disturbed you. I, I should just be ashamed of who I am. Oh, I'll just go away. What would your response be if you were that woman? What response do you think Jesus wants? What response do you think does not take that answer as the final answer. A mentor of mine pointed out that this woman is the only person in the gospel who talks back to Jesus in the way that he talks to them. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I wonder if she's noticing that the bread, which is Jesus and his work, is not at the table of the children anymore. Jesus is not in the Jewish land. He is the crumb that fell on the floor. He's the, he's the bread that went to the dogs, right? He put himself off the table. And she says, yes, Lord, 
but even the dogs can eat the crumbs. She sees what Jesus is really doing, which is he is bringing the blessing, the promise of God to the Gentiles, the blessing that was first for the Jews, that always is first for the Jews. He's extending it to the Gentiles by putting his body in Gentile territory. He is the bread that has become the crumbs of the Gentiles' floor. And she says, yes, even the dogs get to eat that. And look at Jesus' response when she talks back at him with the same figure of speech that he gave to her. He says, for this reply. Jesus wanted that reply. For this reply, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Her faith, Jesus Jesus sees her faith that brings her to the house. He sees her faith that brings her into the room. He sees her faith that makes her fall down at, the, uh, at his feet and beg him. He sees her love for her daughter. He sees that she is, she is desperate for him to help. And his response calls out further faith. His response to her is a challenge that a good rabbi would give a student he loves to see if that student's got what it takes, to, to, to draw out something deeper from that student. And she has it. Jesus' response pulls out greater faith from her. And when she speaks back to him in his own figure of speech, he says, because you said that, that's exactly, exactly what I was hoping you'd say. You may go your way. Your daughter is healed. The demon has left your daughter. So, as James said, the poor, this woman, this displaced woman, is rich in faith. She is filled with love for her daughter, and she's believing that Jesus will care for her daughter as well. And she receives the kingdom of God from Jesus. She receives Jesus' deliverance and liberation in her family. Praise God. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis just means the ten villages. Oddly enough, Jesus has been here before. A while ago he came to this region and there was a guy who was so filled with demons that the, the community didn't know what to do with them. In fact, the community had, had, had thrown this guy out of the village. They had, they had put him into the place where the dead people were because they did not know how to handle this guy. He, he, the demons were so violent and so out of control that the community couldn't handle them. Jesus went and he confronted those demons and set that guy free. But in doing that, he also uh, sent the demons into a bunch of pigs. And the pigs all died which cost this community millions of dollars in our terms. The guy who Jesus set free wanted to go with Jesus because clearly his community did not know what to do with him. They were freaked out by his deliverance and he didn't want to stay with them. But Jesus did not let this man stay with him. He didn't let this guy come with him when he left. Jesus said to him, no, you have to stay here in the Decapolis and you need to tell these people what the Lord has done for you. So I want you to watch. 
again, the principle is that God chooses those who are the least, the poorest, to bless them so that all might experience the blessing. Look at how different the people in the Decapolis are now. Jesus went into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. These people who just a little while before had thrown a demon-possessed man out of their village, and when Jesus had set that guy free, they begged Jesus to leave. Now they have a man who can't hear, who's deaf, and he can't speak. And they love this man, and they are bringing him to Jesus. The blessing that God gave to that demon-possessed man has now been brought to the whole community, and the community is now bringing this man to Jesus for healing. And you can see the love and the faith that has grown here because Jesus has come to them, and it's beautiful. But you can also see how differently Jesus treats this community than he does with that woman, right? When the woman comes, Jesus challenges her so that her faith comes with a stronger articulation and he blesses her, calls out greater faith. With this community, he actually pulls this guy aside by himself. Because Jesus knows what we need. He knows where each of us is at and he knows exactly how to interact with us where we are. Imagine if you were, if you were deaf, as Michelle was talking about earlier, right? Not being able to hear and being so looking forward to getting those hearing aids, right? Yeah, imagine if you had never heard, if you never had heard anything before. And all of a sudden your sense of hearing came back and you're in the middle of a crowd of people. And there's a hubbub. How might you feel? I have a feeling that my, like, I would probably grab my head and like fall to the ground and be overwhelmed and actually quite terrified. To have no sense of hearing at all and then all of a sudden to have a huge amount of sound in my own being would feel like an invasion of my body. So Jesus takes this man aside from the crowd because he knows. He knows what this man needs. He has compassion on this man. And then he sticks his finger in his ears, which is normal for healers at that time. He spits, touches the man's tongue, also normal for healers at that time. But then Jesus, in his spirit, looks up to heaven and he sighs deeply. He says, be open. And the man can tongue can't speak clearly, and it's amazing. And again, you can see, God takes those who are the least, who to, and he causes them to be rich in faith and rich in love, so that they can inherit his kingdom. And this is why favoritism is not allowed in our community. We cannot look at others are rich and say, oh, you're specially blessed by God. 
That's not true. James says, listen, people can get rich lots of different ways. Just because a person's rich does not indicate that they are filled with faith and love. No, in fact, it is the poor whom Jesus has come to. And it is God's delight to rebuke our world by taking the least, blessing them, and making them the conduit of his blessing to others. So what does that mean for us here? What does that mean for you and I practically? Well, I want to offer you a couple of things really practically. First of all, we do not seek to honor people because of any category other than love and faith. Love and faith. That is what we look for in other people. Love and faith. And love and faith are not, they're not conditioned on your education. They're certainly not conditioned on your skin tone. They're not conditioned on your sex. They're not conditioned on anything about you. You're a human being. All human beings created in the image of God. Jesus comes to you and he offers you his kingdom. And those who respond to Christ with love and with faith, those are the folks that we honor. And so one of the things that's really important, right, is for us not to seek the honor that comes from wealth, not to seek the honor that comes from special skill and special education among ourselves. Those things are great if they help us grow in love and faith. But in a couple of weeks, we're gonna be doing a barbecue to help Northeast London connect, to help people come together. And as a church, we want to provide a place that is a witness to Christ, right? A place that is a witness to Christ and his kingdom, which means we want to be a place, we want the barbecue to be, to be a place where people can express love and where people can also respond to Jesus with faith. We'll have things like a table there where people can get prayer, where people can pick up a Bible. We'll have lots of games for people to participate in. And when we, as a church, host that, what we are looking for is the love and the faith in the community. Not always easy to see, but it's there. It's there. The second thing is, we should not be discouraged when the healing or the consolation that we long for does not appear. Sometimes our faith feels like, feels to us, like it's less than other people's faith, right? We say, oh, I don't believe God as much as this other person. I see how they pray. I see how God brings them joy. They always have something to share, and it's joyful, and it's good, right? And we look at them, and we look at ourselves, and we say, well, my faith is less. God must be so unpleased with me. God, God must not love me, or maybe God loves me in principle, but I don't, I can't experience it. And we can get really discouraged. Friends, love and faith are not like wealth, right? Like, when somebody's rich, they drive a nice car, you see, okay, they're rich, they have a nice car. But even when we struggle in faith, there's so much hidden in our lives that other people can't see, right? Somebody gives a wonderful positive testimony up front, and, and you're like, wow, that person's filled with faith. Yeah, maybe they are. And maybe later on they're going to go home this afternoon and they're going to look in the mirror and feel totally ashamed of something in their life, right? We all struggle on the inside. The reality is that Jesus comes to us and he sees our hearts. He sees us. And we are often like that woman, filled with desperation, longing to see Jesus bring healing to us or to those we love. 
And we're stuck in that answer where he says, first let the children eat. We're stuck there. Jesus gives us a challenging response. He does not give the healing immediately. He does not make it easy for us. But we should look at that woman and we should look back at Jesus and say, Jesus, that woman saw that you still had a promise for her, that you still were calling out greater faith in her, that you, you were loving her even when you challenged her. And Jesus wants us to come back to him and say, yes, Lord, but. And we have not been taught to pray, yes, Lord, but. This woman says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs can eat the children's food. And when you are stuck in that place where you feel like you are condemned because you feel like your faith is not enough, Jesus is not sitting there condemning you. That is not Jesus. You can look back at him and say, yes, Lord, my faith is a disappointment to me. But I do not believe that my faith will be a disappointment to you when your kingdom comes. I do not believe that this is all you have for me. I believe that because of who you are, because you are the one who keeps the promises of God, that you have something better for me. And I'm telling you, Jesus, that even the dogs can eat the crumbs, right? And it's hard to stay in that space where the consolation is not coming. It is hard to stay in that space where we feel like we are less than and we're not getting what we long for. But Jesus loves that reply. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs can eat the crumbs. So talk back. Talk back to Jesus and tell him he promised you better. Tell him he wants better for you than that. Last thing. We need to be open to Jesus genuinely surprising us. Genuinely turning our expectations upside down. Jesus comes to us in the least, in the poorest, so that he can show us his faithfulness and his goodness. We do not know what this coming year holds. We do not know what this month of September holds. We do not know what, we don't know so much about the future. But we should be prepared for the surprises that Jesus offers us. Because he is the coming king. He is bringing the kingdom of the Father in our lives. And he loves, he absolutely loves to respond to our faith and to surprise us with his goodness. We're going to pray. Just take a moment of reflection. And then we're going to celebrate communion together. Lord Jesus, you have chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that the Father has prepared for those who love him. Lord, I pray that you would make our hearts ready to receive your kingdom. Fill us with faith. Fill us with love. Teach us to see the love and the faith in others. And Lord, we confess 
that we, we do not believe you. We confess that we have not loved you the way that we should. And we ask your forgiveness for that. Lord, you're worthy of our complete trust. You're worthy of all the love that we have to offer. You are the source of love itself. And so we just ask that you forgive us for where we fall short of faith and in love. And Lord, as we come to the table and remember your sacrifice, that out of your love for us, you died to set us free from sin and from Satan. now you reign forevermore. Jesus, would you fill us afresh with hope and with the power of your spirit to love and serve you this week. We ask this in the power of your name. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon podcast from Mosaic Intercultural Church in London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I want to thank you for joining us. If you want to find out more about Mosaic and about the work that we do, please check us out online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com.